Hi, it's G3, and welcome to our first potluck episode. On this one, Jordy and I are going to put a bunch of things out on the table and hope that somehow they collectively add up to a good meal. The general theme of this episode will evolve around learning and taking in information, but we'll just have to see where it goes. So please just check important disclosures at the end of the episode. And with that, happy Thanksgiving and welcome. All right, we are recording. First off, happy Thanksgiving, Jordy. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. (laughs) Before we get into our potluck episode, we're calling it, where we're going to talk about your philosophy behind gathering information and learning, and who knows where this episode will take us. I do have a very important question up front that I want to ask you. You're welcome to ask me as well. I think it will set the tone. And that question is this. What was your sleep score last night? (laughs) Not exactly what I was expecting. My sleep score last night was 86. What was your sleep score? My sleep score was 83. Well, I think from what you've said, that's good for you. I'm getting better. I uh, clocked six hours of sleep, so I was pleased at the efficiency of my sleep. I got a good sleep score for only getting six hours. Yeah, more hours would be better. (laughs) More hours would absolutely be better, and I need to work on that. All right, so you're the chief investment officer of Weiss, as you well know. One of the things about the term CIO that I've always found interesting is, depending on the type of organization you're referring to, Some people assume that that means chief information officer, not chief investment officer. But as I started thinking about you and where you spend your time and the fact that you are a systems thinker, I thought to myself, maybe you should be the chief information officer (laughs) of the firm. And what makes that especially interesting is oftentimes peppered throughout our dialogues about any number of different topics, you say things Often they can be provocative, and because I don't want to sidetrack us too far down any given rabbit hole, I stick to the topic at hand. But as an example, you have a very unique perspective on books. Not learning per se, but books. And on more than one occasion, I can recall you saying on the podcast, you hate books. And I'm never sure if you mean it or if you're just saying that to make a broader point about how books aren't the only way in which you can get information. So I'm just going to kick off by asking you the question as directly (laughs) as I can. Do you think books are a waste of time, sir? As we kind of go through this, uh, for me and the way that I learn and the ability for me to process information, but also the way that I like to attack things, books are a waste of time for me, for sure. I'll just make this real quick. I hated reading. I do not believe I finished a single book during high school. Cliff Notes were my version of doing the work necessary to get grades high enough that my parents would leave me alone. (laughs) And really, my mother was the guardian of, you need to do well in school. So what do I need to do? B plus or better? Okay. 
I don't think I need to read a book for that. So I just couldn't handle it. And my attention span would have probably been defined as something where today I was too into video games and coding and things like that, to where I just would daydream and it wouldn't make sense. Now, when Netscape came out, everything changed. And if you go back, and I say this to a lot of young people about this thing with books, if you want to learn about health span, you can go buy a book, but you're getting one person's opinion. And Netscape opened up a world for me where I could get a hundred opinions in half the time it would take to read a book. So I say books are a waste of time. And the real literal thing I'm saying is they're not very efficient for learning. For people who use them for relaxing, they're not a waste of time. I think people should read a book rather than watch TV in most cases. I do think books are very, very valuable. And for me, I still read parts of books, but I view them as entering a world. I use them to trigger thoughts. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of the books that have had an impact on my life, but some of the ones more recently that I've used for some of the podcasts we've done. Okay. So I'm interpreting that to mean reading books cover to cover is a waste of time. Reading fiction, if you enjoy doing that, is not a waste of time. But if you want to learn a topic through a nonfiction book, the idea of reading it cover to cover versus reading part of it and then going to the Internet and getting a diverse set of opinions about that topic is a much better way to go. Yes. And all the books that I've read in the last three to five years, I haven't read them. I've been on long rides to Maine in the car and I've listened to the book at three times speed. <laughs> And during that time, when I hit a point where something is interesting, I pause it, I go into my phone, I leave a message and I take notes. And then when I get to the place I'm going and I want to go read about them, I go to Twitter, I go to the internet and I start expanding my search based on topics of things that I heard with inside the book. So it's a gateway to learning for me. Let's talk about some of the books that have served as a pathway for you. What kind of comes at the top of the list there? Andy Duke's book, Thinking in Bets, had a big impact on me. A lot of the books I read for the Hellspan did a lot of things during COVID in terms of thinking about why breathing was important to your heart and things like that. But the book that really changed the way that I learn and had an impact in terms of slowing things down and really becoming a better systems thinker was Josh Waitzkin's book, The Art of Learning, which I read somewhere around the great financial crisis. I just remember it had a huge impact on slowing things down. And there is so much wisdom in that book. And I take the time to look him up and see where he's been interviewed and see what he's up to, because I think he's a fascinating example of the way people describe how they learn. And you don't hear people talk about that a lot, how they learn different things. And since he shifted from chess to pushing hands, surfing, all kinds of different things where he wanted to become world-class at something how he learned it. And almost all of it had to do with the things that get back to things that we talk about on this podcast in which I talk to all young people, which is in the pursuit of happiness, awareness becomes incredibly important, both awareness of yourself, but awareness on everything going on around you. And I think that book had a huge influence for me on that. I think it's also important for people in the markets on some of the things we talk about with stubbornness, biases. I think his ability to explain to you what you have to do to slow down is important. And that's why I also bring up Annie Duke's book because Annie Duke's book got into making decisions and with her background in the brain as well, 
if you compare the two books and you go through it, they really help you in this thing of making decisions and paying attention to your biases and really needing to slow things down. What's amazing about Waitskin is that it wasn't like he became a chess champion and then became a go champion and did things that are so closely related to one another. He was a chess champion and then later on in life, he became a Tai Chi champion. And there's, in theory, nothing that connects the sort of ability set you need for those two things. So it really was about the way he learns, correct? It was about the way he learns. And he's got so many quotes that I've used. In fact, in my writings, I would say that book has the majority of quotes that I've used. I've done a lot of writing where I use quotes and I just think his are in there. But one of the quotes, and I don't remember what it is because it was too long, but it got in this concept that I believed in, which is, are you going through life to be mediocre or are you going through life to learn new things and accomplish new things? And to do that, you have to get out of your comfort zone. If you stay in your comfort zone, you're headed to mediocrity. If you continually get out of your comfort zone, and that's why when you say from chess to pushing hands, like he goes back to square one. And I believe whether it's learning that, which is he has a competitive side that he needs to do, but I will equate it always to my cooking got better in a dramatic way after reading that book. Any recipes that I ever used, I got rid of, completely threw them out. And I started to build things from the beginning. And it's one of the reasons why with my kids, I have said to them all, you have to learn how to cook. It's a beautiful thing to get good at cooking. And if you don't want to be Josh Waitzkin and go do things that you could hurt yourself with in terms of pushing hands or in terms of Taekwondo or anything along those lines, and you just want to do something that will make other people happy and yourself healthier, Cooking is where I would spend most of my time because it's something we have to do every day. And I know that I became a better cook because of Josh Waitskin. And I'll just add one more thing. I decided at 45 that I wanted to ski primarily for my kids because I thought it'd be a great way for the family to get together. But when you grow up the son of a construction worker, skiing is not really on an optimal thing of what's going to go You're on. You're not going to Aspen in the summer. Golf and skiing was not on the agenda. I did sneak onto courses to play golf as a kid and teach myself it. But the skiing part, I decided at 45. And the book, The Art of Learning, had a huge influence on the way that I attacked. How do I learn to ski without hurting myself? And what do I actually want out of this? I'm not going to be in the Olympics, nor do I want to. I just want to make it down the mountain at the slowest rate that I can. And how do I do that? What do I have to do to figure that out? And for all of these different things, Josh Waits can have a huge influence. So it seems like your learning has come through your exploration of books, of thoughts, of ideas, of systems. But one place where I know you don't enjoy learning is in school <laughs> and in addition to being very outspoken about your view on reading books cover to cover, you have on more than one occasion talked about how much you hated school. And I guess where I would want to start off this part of our discussion is when you say school, do you mean college? Do you mean high school? Do you mean it all? I mean it all. I did not enjoy any of it whatsoever. And again, I'm going to just make this clear. It's because I found it so incredibly boring. The sage on the stage routine, whether it's my mother made me go to church multiple times on the weekend because she was one of the senior people in the choir. And so 
She took me all the time. And remember, I've said this before. My father's an atheist, told me there was no God, follow science. My mother's like, you're going to church multiple times a weekend. So if people want to get where the lunacy that is my brain and the way that I think about things, it's the contradictions that come in my household. My father didn't graduate high school. He left in the eighth grade. So he was the one that worked in the house. And when you're a kid and especially a boy with his father, you're looking at him like, all right, he didn't need school. Why do I need it? So I'm sure there was some influence on that. But the reality was I found it incredibly boring. So I just don't care that much about it for success, to be honest with you. I think people need to learn and curiosity is really important. And I've always been a curious person. I've always learned new things, but school just didn't do it for me. If President Biden called you up and said, Jordy, I want to nominate you as the new secretary of education. (laughs) And for whatever reason, you decided, yes, would you abolish school or would you change school? I mean, again, I think to be fair to everyone, I think some people are really it's good for them to sit there and do well in school. I have four kids and some of them really like school and they go in there and they might not like the homework, but they like the challenge of doing the work of paying attention and memorizing things. That just was not for me. So I think things need to be customized, which means technology needs to be more involved. I think that's going to happen in the future. I've talked about it on other podcasts, but when my son wants to learn something, forget the things they teach you in school. When he wants to learn how to shave and I go, hey, I'm going to teach you how to shave. You're now 14 years old. Let me take you in there. And you got a little hair over there. And he goes, no, you're not teaching me how to shave. I'm like, well, how are you going to learn then? YouTube. It's one of the reasons why I'm positive on emerging markets because I think they're going to benefit the most from finally getting connected to the internet, not too long before COVID, then COVID comes and work from home and school from home starts. And all of a sudden now, maybe you don't need as many teachers because one person theoretically could teach a million people. And because we're into streaming and everything else, it doesn't have to be live. It can be when you want to do it. So I would absolutely focus on customization of school to make it easier for people to do it when they want to do it as opposed to going away. There are social benefits from going and experiences that I believe all kids need to go through. I just don't think the concept of sitting in a classroom with a hundred other people watching some person up there tell you what to memorize makes much sense. That'd be really funny if you went into the Biden administration. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll pass. I'm teasing you. I I know that's not what you have in mind. All right. Well, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it to you anyway. You interview a lot of people each year. A lot of people walk through the doors of this firm. How much time do you spend on questions related to their schooling? Very little. First of all, I assume, and we've talked about this, but when I'm interviewing someone, it's a 30-point system, 10 points each column, IQ, EQ, AQ. By the time someone gets to me, their IQ in terms of school, I know they're good. I do spend time on curiosity. I do spend time on new skills that they've learned. So the schooling part to me, the only time I really focus on the school is when someone comes in who's only been in school and has no internships and I got to find out who they were. Because remember, that's who I was. When I got a job at Morgan Stanley, I had no internships. I was graduating from Manhattan College and I didn't really have anything to say about who I was, the school I did. It just wasn't part of the equation. So I had to go through the fact that my experiences were really my advantage. And I think in the end, that's why I got the job. And I look for that in people. I look to know what their emotional intelligence is. So did they build friends in high school? Do they still have those friends? What's their connection back to their family? I want to find something in empathy. Most people that are younger, and I would say in the age of 24 to 26, one of the questions I ask is take me through your day today coming here. 
And in that conversation, I can get a lot of things about EQ just by their awareness of how they got there. Could you just remind us again what EQ and AQ stand for? EQ is the emotional quotient and AQ is either adversity or adaptability quotient. So think of it as grit, resilience, examples of being able to fight through things. So let's use the skiing for me as an example. If I was telling people about skiing and I went through and said, okay, well, how did you learn it? What was your curiosity to learning it? And I took about how many videos I watched before I ever got on skis, how many things I watched after I was done skiing each day. If I skied with an instructor, I skied by myself. I would write down notes about the experience and what things I'm still not good at, what I'm having trouble with. Am I having trouble with ice? Am I having trouble with powder? What am I going through? And I would write them down and then I'd go back and read about those things because I do believe to get good at something, it's a combination of shoving the memory back in. So the IQ part, the EQ part is to find good instructors and be able to find the ones that are actually connecting with you that you're learning better from. I've had ski instructors that were like teachers. They were just really bad at teaching someone at my level. Then I had engineers that when they describe what I should be doing with my ankles and what I should be doing with my knees and what I should be doing with my posture and how I should have an aggressive, there were just things that connected. And so I think understanding different people and the way they go through the EQ side and then the AQ side was me falling down, getting back up and having to do it again. So Skiing is kind of a metaphor for the whole concept of IQ, EQ, AQ. And when I'm in an interview session, I'm trying to spend time on all of those and get an answer. And so I might ask someone at the end, if I get the sense that their college life has been great and they were the valedictorian and all this stuff was great. I'm like, who paid for college? And if they say I did, then I could spend some time on how are they going to pay for it? What's going to go on? It expands the question. And if their parents paid for it, why did their parents pay for it? What's the thought where they were the first graduate? I expand a lot and I spend a lot of time getting to know the person based on things about them to be able to solve for the IQ, EQ, AQ. Do you think people would be better off or at least some people would be better off if they skipped college altogether and did something else with those years? I've offered it to my kids not to not get a degree. So let's separate going to college and getting a degree because you can go online and get a degree. But if my kids said, I want to live in Europe for four years and I'll graduate while I'm there, I want to work at the same time, I think that'll be a better learning experience or a great learning experience for them because they'll be out of their comfort zone and they'll be a stronger person. And I think they'll get a lot of the same benefits they would get at college. So I think some people would be. And again, when you get back to the customization thing, school's not for everyone. <laughs> college is not for everyone. And I think that's been proven by some of the people that have run major businesses and what they've actually accomplished on the way people define success. A lot of them didn't graduate college. <laughs> I think also there is a certain benefit that comes from gaining access to the real world. If you're a kid, you go to a nice high school, you have a nice life, everything is taken care of for you. If you're going to a nice college, again, everything is taken care of for you. Even spending a few years in the real world traveling or doing something that requires you to really work your butt off and not be treated in a pampered way, I think is very helpful for a lot of people's maturation. I would say the reason I got the job at Morgan Stanley was because I had a child already. So I think my maturity level and my decision-making and things that come along with it based on the stress that comes with having to take care of a child at a young age, it forces you to be more mature, but more importantly, I had to work really, really hard. I didn't go out 
with people on the weekends. I literally was already someone that was very focused on work and accomplishing things, partly because I didn't want my daughter to have to pay for her own education because I was paying for mine. I wanted her life to be better like most parents that went through. So I do think that life's experiences and what you end up putting yourself in have a big influence. The other thing about this is when life expectancy was only 60 to 75, I say this all the time, but separate your high school years and say, okay, from 18 and let's assume 68, you're dealing with 50 years. Four of those years would be spent in college. So you want to go get a job. You want to be a doctor. You want to be a lawyer. You want to be whatever. You pretty much have to go down that route. The college years were meant to give you the foundation for learning when there was no internet. And I can't say this enough. The challenge of learning back when we were young to go on microfiche, to go into a library, to go find a book, that process took forever. And you'd find one book on the topic if you were lucky. You'd take it home and you're reading one book. We just don't appreciate how easy it is to learn now. So when you see your kids in a room blasting music and still being able to get A's on papers, being able to write with this stuff, their brains are completely different than I because of the iPhone because of having computers and access to information. And so I believe that the school system has not adapted fast enough related to the way the brain is changing and the way life expectancy is changing. So I do believe that school for all the good things that go, it is definitely a waste of money for a lot of people. Well, there are country clubs too, and to a great extent, right? The dorms are incredibly fancy at certain schools, of course, and they are almost trying to position themselves like a high end hotel. That doesn't seem to be serving them well either. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> no. So I went to Manhattan College. One of my daughters is in there and another one of my daughters is, is at a school in Los Angeles that literally, it's a beautiful, beautiful campus. And it's just one of those things that everybody's got a different experience. And some of these, yeah, they're going off to a school, their parents are paying for it and they're going to make friends and going to have a good life. It's just to me, again, my views on this or my opinion, you said CIO for chief information officer. I'm really the COO, the chief opinion officer. So I have a lot of opinions on things, but I do believe in customization. So again, for all kids, if you have multiple kids and you have four, I think all of them are going to be different. It's not a one size fits all with college. You learned a lot as a door-to-door -door encyclopedia salesman, right? <laughs> no, I, I was not a door-to-door -door encyclopedia salesman, but I don't know if I've mentioned it on here, but I was a Time Life book salesperson. Okay, I was off. So you, were, you didn't go door-to-door. -door. <laughs> Did not go door-to-door, -door, but I went uh, phone call to phone call, particularly in Canada where I had most of my success. So. I could see you being a good door-to-door -door salesman. <laughs> I think you know this, but when I got the job at Time Life Books, I was in Washington, D.C., and I was a young kid and you go through this process where they put 40 people in a room and they give you some kind of test and then 10 people leave there. And then out of that next room, another four left and then they put you on the phones. And by the end of the month, there's usually one or two left. And luckily I went through it and I remember I'm getting all these things and I'm calling and for people who don't remember time life books, they're on like UFOs, they're on a whole bunch of different things, everything you could possibly imagine. But all of a sudden one day they gave me a bunch of cards for Canada and said, you're going to call these people. So I called Canada and almost every person who picked up was a woman. These were during, I'd say the 11 to two o'clock time. And in almost every case they were watching soap operas. <laughs> and so I decided to videotape 
because that's the way we did it back then uh, with a VCR <laughs> videotape, a bunch of the same soap operas. And I would watch them to try and increase my sales. And it worked really well to be able to talk about general hospital and days of your lives and know the people. And you built these relationships. So even though I'm not a salesperson, I think my desire to be successful at anything led to learning something new. So that's just a little, a little story of, of me as a Time Life book salesperson. I had one sales job. Want to know what, what it is? Yeah. All right. I worked for Moe's Furniture. <laughs> and Mo was an Israeli, so I guess his name was Moses. <laughs> and the slogan for Moe's Furniture was, and I'll never forget this, he would always say it, my name is Mo. My prize is low. <laughs> I had a great first month. I was killing it. I was selling love seats and all that kind of stuff. My second month, I had a real, real dry spell. So he came up to me one day, put his arm around me. You want to know what he did? What's that? He fired me on the spot. He said my production was down. I didn't have what it took and I was out of here. But I learned a very valuable lesson. I learned two years worth of lessons from him doing that. You actually have to earn your keep or you're fired. <laughs> yes, I was definitely not fired at Time Life. No, so. It sounds like you were a superstar. There. I, I did well. I did win some awards for the, I don't think I was there for more than 18 months, but I did a lot of odd jobs as a kid, so. All right. You said you should be, what did you call it? The COO, the chief opinion officer, you yeah. said. Another topic I know you have opinions on are newspapers and their lack of reliability in your view. When did that happen? Do you think newspapers were always like this or do you think that's been a more recent change as a result of economic factors or whatever? Like what's your beef with newspapers? Well, first of all, I think they're probably better than they were when I was younger because there's more access to information. And again, you can find news any way you want. If my daughter sends me something, which this is a true story, she sent me something when she worked at a shopping mall in New Jersey that there was gunfire in the mall, then I would immediately go on Twitter. I'd go look up and I'd find out what was going on real time from people that were there and going through it. So I don't read newspapers anymore. I don't subscribe to any other than the New York Post, and that's purely for sports reasons and maybe a little bit of ridiculousness every now and then in terms of stuff being funny and pop culture. But other than that, I don't read newspapers anymore, mainly because I hate to say it, but they seem to have a lot more bias. We're in a, in a much more polarizing world where the leaning of all papers tends to show up, whether it's to the left or to the right. And so I don't find a lot of valuable insights that aren't geared for that audience. And so to me, it's not that they're fake news. They're just not there. And I'll just give you an example for the markets. It was 2007. Yeah, I think it was 2007. Housing market in the U.S. has peaked. Things are looking really bearish going forward and probabilities of recession to me are growing rapidly. They hit 100% on my model back in September of 07, which was before the peak in stocks. And I decided at that time that because of the portfolio, not only my own, but many, many people in the street and also the firm was heavily geared towards China, that everything I knew about China was coming in a newspaper. I hadn't yet traveled to China. And because I was so positive on emerging markets and commodities and things, I got on a plane and I went over there and almost everything that I'd seen on 60 Minutes, Ghost Towns, all of this stuff was just garbage. It just was sensationalized to a point. So I just don't trust news. And I'd rather, if I'm going to believe in news, I'm going to get 75 different opinions on a topic inside Twitter rather than read 
a single person writing about anything. I don't care what it is. And for sports fans, you know that's the case because you could read 20 articles one week on how bad the Knicks are. Then they win three games in a row and every article will be how good they are and all the good decisions and then it'll turn bad again. This is just momentum writing and it's just about what happened. But they have a job to do and the job is to create something out of thin air. So I'm not a big fan of newspapers. Right. Their job is to sell clicks, sell subscriptions, sell newspapers, help create ads, not to actually inform you. I think that's your real point there. Yep. It's an incentive misalignment. Yeah. So again, books are different, but I just don't care. (laughs) All right. Well, let's talk about something that I know you care about. You love chatting up strangers. And what I find interesting about that is because when you have told me that and you do it, especially when you, I think, you know, are in Maine and and the like, it really says that you love talking with people over meals. And yet the irony is, I know this, you are well known for not really liking going to dinner with people who, you know, even if you like the person. So for my final question here, I just want to ask you, because this is a potluck episode and we're just getting it all out there. What's the deal with hating going to dinner with people and yet absolutely loving the idea of speaking with people at the local diner? Okay. First of all, each person is like a new movie. So I'm going to start there. I've had this conversation with a lot of people since, again, I'm the COO and I've got a lot of opinions. (laughs) A lot of young people will say things like, God, I hate my boyfriend's friends or I hate my girlfriend's friends. And we, I got to go out to dinner with them all the time. How did you get through this? I'm like, well, here's the way that if I end up with people I don't know, get to know them, ask them questions, let them talk about themselves, pretend like it's a TV show and you have a beginning and you have an ending and you want to learn more about it. It's a puzzle and you actually can learn things from people. You can actually learn some things on what to do, what not to do. So I do view people as interesting. I can get bored with them very quickly and think of a remote. So I'm not like going out to dinner with people that I don't know and like being like, oh, this will be a lot of fun. But let's assume a bartender, a waitress, a waiter, someone that's in the office for the first time. If they're interesting, I'll just keep digging and digging and digging. And then I'll ask them questions about why this, why that, what do they do? If I'll just kind of explore because my favorite type of book is a biography. But again, the reason the Steve Jobs book was so good is because that's a biography. It's Walter Isaacson writing it while Steve Jobs is still alive. So when Walter Isaacson writes a book on Ben Franklin or Albert Einstein, he doesn't have those people next to him. And the Steve Jobs book was very interesting because it's basically Walter Isaacson is meeting Steve Jobs and he's writing the book from both Steve Jobs perspective and then from his. There was an interview last month with Howard Stern and Bruce Springsteen. And I'm a huge Springsteen fan. You are too, right? Yeah. Did you hear the interview? No. Phenomenal. And it was so good that it will be out. I guess it's this week. I think it's on Thanksgiving night or Thanksgiving weekend on HBO. So the entire interview, it's two hours. That's how good the interview was. And as a big Springsteen fan, I thought his autobiography was fantastic. And that's the way I approach people is if I meet them for the first time, I just want to know the way they think. And because I care, 
people like to talk and I'm willing to talk about myself as I've done on this podcast about a lot of different things. But I think the stories behind humans are very interesting. And if you can get them to be vulnerable, you get some really good stuff. It's hard when you know the people because you've already kind of set that relationship up and vulnerability is generally lost at that point. Sometimes when I'm out to dinner with people, I pretend that they're on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is a way to go. We had dinner once and I think that night I chatted up a lot of the uh, the waiter and the person who brought us wine and stuff like that. You were so. great friends with them by the end of the meal. I very much remember that. I try to do that. It's one of the reasons why I go to Maine so much because in Maine, I always meet new people, whether it's at yoga, whether it's at a restaurant I go to, I constantly meeting and because I grew up a blue collar kid. Maine, especially in the wintertime when there's no tourists in. And it's my favorite time. January is my favorite month to be in Portland because it's basically empty, but the restaurants are still open. You can get seats anywhere. Oysters are still great. So I like to find people up in Maine all the time. Yeah, that is a good piece of information. And on that note, thank you much, sir. Thanks, G3. This podcast should not be reproduced, copied, distributed, or published in whole or in part. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The views expressed herein are subject to change without notice. Information in this podcast is based on data regarding current market conditions from sources believed to be reliable. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. You should consult your own advisors regarding business, legal, tax, or other matters concerning investment. Any health-related information shared on this podcast is not intended as medical advice or for use in self-diagnosis or treatment. Please consult a qualified healthcare professional before acting upon any health-related information on this podcast. Please review related show notes for this podcast and visit www.gweiss.com to review related disclosures and learn more about Weiss.